1: It's the D word. Oh, it's a word you and I really don't like. In fact, we find it offensive more often than not, especially when we find ourselves living in the flesh rather than the spirit. Discipline. That is on tap today as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 5, and this is where the Apostle Paul deals with this issue. In-depth. Discipline. God's discipline. Discipline. Why does God discipline us? To what end and for what purpose? Is it punitive, restorative? How is God dealing with us when it comes to discipline? Well, these are questions we hope to answer for you throughout the rest of this week as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians here on Study Verse by Verse. Here's Pastor Leighton Sheely now with today's program. If we as uh, believers exercise self-discipline,
0: then we will not need to be disciplined. But if we do not exercise self-discipline, then we will be disciplined, either by parents or church leaders or government. And if those structures of authority fail to discipline us, then we will come under God's discipline. And if God doesn't discipline us, it's because we are not His child, and if we're not a child of God, then we're a child of devil, and we're going to hell, and we're going to be disciplined in hell. It's a whole lot better to exercise self-discipline than one of the other alternatives. If we exercise self-discipline, we will not need to be disciplined. That's what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to take a look, verse, chapter 11, verse 31. This chapter gives instructions on communion. But listen to what Paul writes in verse 31. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're being disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, it is not made clear in many modern English translations, but the two words, both translated judged in verse 31, are actually two different words. The first word is diakrino which means to oppose, to strive with, to dispute, to contend. It means to contend with ourselves. The second word is the word "kreno," and that word means to summon to trial that a, one's case might be examined and judgment be passed upon it. And so what this verse says is if we contend with ourselves, if we discipline ourselves, if we exercise self-discipline, then we will not come under the discipline of God. The judgment of God. And the next verse says that when God disciplines us, it's so that we will not be condemned with the world. We're not going the same direction as the world, because we as the children of God are handled differently than people who are not the children of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. <laughs> who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you it, as He does all of His children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really His children at all. And so, sometimes coming under God's discipline reminds us that we are God's children, and that is a source of encouragement, or should be a source of encouragement to us. Some people think that being a Christian is hard, and it is. Either being self-disciplined or coming under the discipline External, uh, uh, external discipline is hard. But let me tell you, folks, it's a lot easier than going to hell. It might be hard, but the alternative is far worse. Now, the Bible instructs Christians to, do, to discipline their flesh, fighting the desires and appetites that are contrary to the Spirit. In fact, the Bible describes that there is a war going on inside every believer. Galatians 5, verse 16 and following says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. The spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. The spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. There is a war going on inside every believer between the spirit and the flesh. And we are participants in that war. Now, how do we participate in this war? We participate by how we set our minds. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5... Paul writes, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit. And setting our minds is no trivial matter because the next verse says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's important how we set our minds. The Scriptures tell us we should set our minds on things of the Spirit. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so we as Christians are to capture our thoughts. We are to control our thoughts. We are to discipline our thoughts. We are to set our mind. Now, how can we do that? Well, one thing we can do is to, whenever possible, limit our exposure to sources that stir thinking about desires of the flesh. Some movies, television programs, romantic novels, magazines, and other sources that entice and encourage us to set our minds on things of the flesh rather than things of the Spirit. There are enough such exposures over which we have no control. Now, the San Francisco Bay Area is much like Corinth of Paul's day. Both are known or were known throughout the world for their sexual activities and perversions. Even uh, across the pagan world, the Roman Empire at the time, Corinth was known for its moral corruption. In fact, there was a word that was used to describe someone who was involved in gross immorality and drunken debauchery, and he was called a Corinthian. I can't even pronounce it. He was called one of them, you know, night. one of them. Uh, the name of the city became associated with moral depravity. Prostitutes throughout the Roman world were called Corinthian girls. In Corinth, there was a temple that was dedicated to the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and that temple employed a thousand prostitutes who provided sexual activity as a form of worship. The city was known for its acceptance and promotion of homosexuality, bisexuality, open marriages, swingers, sadomasochism, bondage, and every variation uh, around a sexual theme. The city was also known for its high incidence of sexually transmitted diseases. You know, we as modern Christian Americans are living in a modern-day Corinth. Let me provide you some statistics that are courtesy of Pastor Mark Driscoll and his staff from Mars Hill Church in Seattle. Pastor Mark says that every year, Americans spend more money on pornography than country music, rock music, jazz music, classical music, Broadway plays, and ballets combined. The World Series is playing right now, and we can see the amount of attention and money that is being poured out in relationship to this event. However, pornography revenues exceed $10 billion annually. That amount is greater than the combined revenues of professional baseball, basketball, and football combined. Each year, over 11,000 pornographic films or movies are created. That is more than 20 times the amount that is produced by Hollywood and others intended for mainstream consumption. The top search word on the Internet is sex, and 70% of Internet porn traffic occurs during business hours. The National Council on Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity did a study that indicated that six to eight percent of Americans are sex addicts. That means between 16 and 21 and a half million people. These addicts have had dozens of sexual partners and are continually in search of the next. With the removal of school prayer in 1962, the Ten Commandments, and respectful references to God from our public schools. America's public schools have become pagan temples, where children are taught to put on condoms instead of reading, writing, and arithmetic. The product of this is that of our nation's high school seniors, 61% have had sexual intercourse, about half are currently sexually active, 21% of high school seniors, almost one out of five, have had four or more sexual partners. By high school graduation, students have spent 15,000 hours watching television and 12,000 hours in the classroom. What does that mean? Well, it means our youth are being raised more by television than they are the classroom. So what kind of teaching do they get on television? Every year on television, there are 14,000 sexual references. Now... Out of those 14,000, do you know how many of them uh, recommend abstinence or self-control or self-discipline? Out of 14,165, that's about 1%. The rest, the 99%, are sensual in nature. Sexual addiction and preoccupation is epidemic across America, and therefore also in American churches. Now what constitutes sexual sin? What activity is acceptable or is not acceptable to God? Well, in a few weeks we're going to go into that question in greater detail, but let me, for the purposes of understanding on our message today, just give you the bottom line. According to the Bible, sex is only acceptable to God when inside the context of marriage, and marriage is defined as a covenant between
1: one man and one woman till death do us part. Well, that'll get you in trouble, won't it? Especially in today's culture. But it's the Lord, it's God. How can we do anything else other than what He has commanded, what He has directed? Well, there is much more ground to cover as we continue studying God's Word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Godly Discipline. If you have questions about the program or Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and the ministry there, visit our website highlands.us. Again, highlands.us. And then come back and join us tomorrow as our journey in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 continues here on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely.